NBA Christmas has come and gone, so I guess the season has officially started. Patrick and I are recapping our bets. We just watched the Pistons break the NBA's record for longest losing streak. We're going to do a little bit of a dive into the Pistons, all things Pistons. Maybe a little Durant frustration Phoenix talk. We kind of have to touch on it. I'm always ready. I'm always ready for that. And a little bit of best take, worst take. Let's get into foul trouble. It's really just such a magical time when, when you can witness some NBA history, James. Yeah. And and we got to see that today in the Pistons losing their 27th, 27th straight game. Yeah. Just absolutely. I, I'm so sorry for all you Pistons fans, but we're not going to start there. Christmas Day. Yeah. What would you think? Um, did, it, it was a weird mix of... The NFL is encroaching on our territory. Yeah, this and is the second it. year in a row we've had NFL on Christmas. I think last year Christmas was on a Sunday, so we had NFL Sunday. This year it was a Monday, so NFL goes, you know what? We'll just expand Monday Night Football to an all-day event. There we go. It was basically like Thanksgiving NFL slate <laughs> just yeah. on Christmas. No, I, honestly, like as a huge fan of both leagues, I, I wasn't a big fan of both of them just throwing like all these amazing games in my face because it's like, all right, well, I want to watch all the games. Which, like, you know, already with the NBA, it's, like, five games, kind of a commitment. Usually, I'll hit, like, three and a half. Because it's just, it's a lot of basketball yeah, in one no, day. I, and I it's, like, you also have your family. Five. You've got your Christmas dinner. You've got your actual Christmas obligations. So, then to throw, like, three football games on top of that as a fan of both leagues was just... Yesterday was kind of a, was a tough one, man. I was constantly channel surfing. At one point, we were doing the, like... Ravens game on one screen, the end of the Sixers Heat game on the other screen. Like, it's just too much. I know. I feel like it needs to be, if they're going to do all that, it's got to be a holiday where we can, like, be at a sports bar. And Christmas <laughs> is just not one of those holidays. Yeah, no. Yeah, I think, like, a, like a little, like, NFL wildcard weekend could be a nice double up if we have a lot of good NBA games that day and we just, like, camp out at a sports bar all day. That could be a, that could be a fun weekend. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. And, and my thought also for Christmas Eve was like obviously it was Sunday, but NBA, if if the NFL's gonna do that to you, I wanna see you guys put bite in, back. Put bite back, put a like you're gonna have days on your NBA schedule where no one's gonna watch anyways. So why not just put like a couple good like young matchups on Christmas Eve? That's that was just a thought of mine. Obviously Christmas Eve is not gonna land on Sunday every year. So it'll be a little bit more watchable and not up right against football but um okay let's go down the line and just cover what our bets were and how they ended up panning out yep so the first game of the day Knicks Bucks Patrick our bet was who will score more points you had Giannis Antetokounmpo I had Jalen Brunson and uh Brunson worked his magic for me he did the double entendre he was really good on offense he put up a lot of points was suspect enough on defense to make Lillard the highest scorer for the Bucks. So Jalen Brunson, double agent for my cause. It was super, super close. It, like going into the, uh, like, I think like five minutes left in the fourth quarter, it was a one point difference between Brunson and Giannis. And then Brunson just uh, took it from there. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was a pretty good game. You got to be feeling really good about yourself. If you're a Knicks fan walking away from that game, obviously no Mitchell Robinson you needed that win because I think that that was the third game they've played yeah this season yep so, the Bucks and the Bucks own the first two yeah so really it kind of a must win Wait, for the Knicks fourth fourth game though was it 
was the because the play-in group play the play-in first round the game two days on the 23rd and then this game on christmas that might have been their fourth meeting oh wow geez the <laughs> i think that was their fourth <laughs> so meeting confusing. yeah um so but there will still be I think there one might be a more, fifth meeting. But maybe that one. It's the little in-season tournament shenanigans. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Messing I with the schedule. Have it written. Uh, I think I think that's just their second one. Or third one. Third one. Okay. Wait. I think that's This is great podcasting. I know. They, I thought they did play in the first round of the in-season tournament. Um No, no you're right. They, they hosted the, the Pacers. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. My bad. So now we are moving on to Nuggets Warriors. Nuggets Warriors. And our bet was Stephen Clay made threes versus Murray and MPJ made threes, and they tied with six each. I know. I, I realized that that was a very real possibility, like midway through that game. And I was like, we really should have come up with like a yeah. percentage tiebreaker. I started watching the game, I think like eight minutes into the first quarter. So I, I hop in and immediately Clay hits a three. And I'm like, oh my God, this is how I lose the bet is if Clay starts hitting these threes. And then I look and I'm like, oh, MPJ's like two of two in the minutes that I didn't watch. All right, cool. Like MPJ's hitting up, eating up, and Murray hasn't even hit one yet. Like, also, you called it Steph, maybe the worst Christmas player ever. And I'm like, Murray, I can always rely on Jamal Murray in a primetime game. And uh, yeah, they tied. Dude's got Frosty the Snowman <laughs> hands on <laughs> yeah. Christmas. Yeah, he loses it's all unreal. his ability. Like, I, I don't even know. I, I, I don't know. I guess it's just him being a good dad. He's up early. But yeah, so after those two games, it was. One to zero, basically. Yeah, it, it was one really to zero to one. Um, and then the uh, Celtics came and and put a, a little bit, bit of a stamp on the Lakers. A little put of a little bit of a beat down on the Lakers. I'm happy to see Anthony Davis play really well in a game like that, though, for the Lakers. I, yeah, I mean, I guess this is gonna kind of be the whole back and forth discourse we've had like this whole season, right? Like, what's what's up with this Lakers team? They kind of seem like they have the components, and if Anthony Davis is playing like this, they should be winning games. But the Celtics. Through and through have been the best team so far this whole season. Yeah, I mean, the Celtics really just seemed like another class of of team than the Lakers in that game. It was, I, I think the game was a, a lot closer than the end result ended up being. The The Celtics kind of pulled away in the fourth. But uh, do, do you have any feelings about LeBron's uh, comments afterwards that he, the Lakers just haven't had the uh, the health of the other contending teams, and, th- and that's why the, their record is where it is. Uh, I mean, every team has injuries, right? Exactly. Top to bottom in the NBA, like, we're going to talk about the Pistons. Like, spoiler alert, the Pistons are another team that has had some injuries, maybe is a reason why they've broken the NBA record. Obviously, like, a Bojan Bogdanovich doesn't impact you as much as, like, let's say... Uh, well, I mean, AD and LeBron have been playing. That's my thing. But, That's why I teed you up on this. But for the Suns, for example, like, Bradley Beal, Booker missed a lot of games. You know, every team has injuries. But, yeah, I mean, LeBron also just said we're not where we need to be. I mean, it kind of... I don't know. The Lakers at this time last year had, like, a massive losing record. So, I guess that's the thing. Is there going to be that D'Angelo Russell trade for the Levine-type player that it's kind of getting speculated about? Or, like, I don't... Like, I don't know. We'll see. I feel like the Lakers are going to make a move. Yeah, it, se- it seems like they are going to make a move. And, and because they have a lot of, like, repetition in their roster, I think, especially in the guard area... Um, interesting, like moving, uh, D'Lo to the bench. bench yeah. seems like that at least did something for one game, but I don't know. Does like a Zach Levine 
fix? Does it make them a more reliable team? I don't know. I guess it just replaces like like D'Angelo with a guy who's a little bit more like kind of in your face. Because I think the one thing about D'Angelo that is really unique, he does play at this really weird pace. Like not just the pace of like pushing the ball, but like the pace of his handle. He's like a really funky, quirky player. And I think Levine being a little bit more of a normal scoring forward, like not forward as in like a wing, but like just forward, like I'm going to attack you type player, I think could... I think I was really against it, but now the more I think about it, if they're going to commit to letting LeBron be more point guardish, like Levine is a nice off the ball option. I think. I think there's also a chance that Levine can fit better next to Reeves than any of the guards that the Lakers currently have on their roster, and from a roster building perspective, I think that should be kind of a really big priority for the Lakers moving forward is like, how can we get our three best players on the court together more often? I think that's the weird thing too with the Lakers that I think Levine could help is like Levine's skill set seems like he'd really amplify their half court offense. But I also feel like in like the non LeBron Levine minutes, they could play at a higher tempo. Cause the weird thing about LeBron, and this goes all the way back to like, his Miami Heat days is like, he's like the best transition player in league history. It's like still one of the best transition players in the entire league, but he likes to play half court basketball. Yeah. It's very Chris Paul. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so after that it was one, 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 um, it was a, it was a full on yes, So he had, you had the Celtics. I had the Lakers. So that's why it's one, one, one. We go into 76ers heat and we had to change our bet. Originally we were betting on who would commit less fouls between Bam and Embiid. Embiid didn't play. He was your guy in this matchup, surprisingly. Yes. So you just went with the Sixers. I just went with the heat. No Jimmy, no Embiid and the heat pull it out. Tyrese Maxey, like just Why'd you let me down, man? Really, like, his by far worst game of the season. Um, Jaime Hawkes looked absolutely Hawkes incredible, though. You know who, like, I feel like Jaime Hawkes has been stealing, like, all the shine from the Heat this year. And obviously, Bam's amazing defense. But, Patrick, you know who's, like, been the guy, like, every Heat game that I'm like, let's go? Is Duncan Robinson. Oh, okay. This guy has added a complete, like, basket-attacking facet of his game. Like, we kind of saw it in last year's playoffs. Like, really, you know, like, he's always been a good off-the-ball movement player, but it was always so behind the arc, right? Like, I feel like Duncan's really added this, like, closeout attacking game. Like, his cuts are way more diversified in terms of where he's moving around the court. Like, I don't know, man. Duncan Robinson is, like, he's back. How he's back in a big way. I think he's Duncan in his late Robinson 20s. Now. Yeah. You don't – you always, like – think of these players in like bat like NBA terms of like if you're not 18 years old you're not ever going to get better but like I mean I'm not exactly sure how old he is but like really like if he was like an NFL player you'd expect him to get a lot better going forward even though he was like a four-year senior in college so like it does make a little sense but that's gonna be so big for the heat moving forward yeah i think the other thing with the heat and it's one of those things because this is how it was last year too but they did the whole like you know jimmy bam and tyler have only played like seven games together and i'm like oh yeah that's why the heat are gonna do this again they're gonna be the eighth seed and they're gonna fucking beat the celtics in round one. Oh my gosh <laughs> no see that's <laughs> That's why the 76ers are going to lose. We were talking before the pod, like what is like the like out of the box scenario that like sends Embiid on like a angry tirade. I demand a trade. 
And James was saying, like, there's no way. The, they lose in round one. They lose in round one because I said it would be a round one exit. And we just figured it out. They just beat the Sixers in round one. So easy. It, yeah, it I, makes I, so much sense. I feel like the like Bucks, Sixers, Celtics like triad is just every day they're just like, please let Miami get the four seed. Please let Miami get the four seed. Like, please don't make them have to play one of us in round one. Yeah, they're just like go because that's how weird the Heat are. I feel like if they play any of those teams, they beat them. But like. It's gonna be like a knockdown, grind out seven game series against the Pacers. Yeah, and it's gonna come down to the very last shot. No, yeah, no. I. Feel, <laughs> um, all right. Well, this game, you know, it was a good game, but ultimately the Heat kind of were kind of ahead for most of it. They pulled ahead at the end. Yeah, it was a little tight at, at the end, but for the most part, it was a game where the two players that you tuned in to watch were not playing. And after that game, it was two to one, James. Setting us up for a winner, I, I don't know, I guess like winner take all, Mavs, Suns, it was the game we were most excited for, and let me tell you, it was the exact game that I expected to get. Luka Doncic is... Oh, he's I, amazing. He's, he's the best wing, he's the best perimeter player in the league, I think. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, I feel like at this point, like, I don't know what else he has to do. Uh, oh, the best perimeter player in the league? Yeah, just yeah. hands down. He's the best perimeter player in the league. And I completely side note, his like soccer um, headband <laughs> look is like, it's so iconic. It is, it could not be more perfect for him. Nobody else wears something like that. And I just love it. Um, yeah. I mean, from the get go in the game, he was absolutely unstoppable. And then just, we got to see another absolutely anemic performance from the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, it was like the Mavs are up most of the game. The Suns like get that like four point lead at the end of the third, and it's like, all right, this Phoenix, you know, sneaking away with it. And then no, Luca just was like, all right, I'm. Yeah, he Luka put Dodgers. his foot down, and, and he played like a superstar when somebody needed to step up, and it could have been any of Luca, Book, or KD. And I don't know. I don't know. I think as a Suns fan. How are you feeling about KD specifically? Because obviously before this game, we're getting to like, Durant is frustrated with the supporting cast. He's frustrated with Beal's injury. Like, Eric Gordon is like, I don't get enough shots. And I feel like, you know, Booker, like, 20 points is disappointing given like the Luka matchup. But like, Kevin Durant, man, like 14 or 16 or whatever he ended up with, like, what do you, what, how are you feeling on Durant right now? Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's been super disappointing. There, right now, I'm kind of more focused on just like the coaching staff uh, is where I'm like directing my disappointment because coming into the game, Durant's been on, on this like career high streak of 25 point plus games, which honestly is all I'm hoping from him. Um, where I'm a little bit disappointed with Durant is on the defensive side. Like, the only way that this Suns roster is going to work it, on defense, especially with Nurkic out, is Durant being a real presence at the rim. And honestly, the last couple of games especially, it has been, and especially the two games that Dur that Nurkic has been out, it people just waltz to the rim. Like, there is absolutely no rim protection whatsoever. And, like, honestly... 
I put that a little bit on the minimum centers that we have. Shemezi Metu was absolutely incredible on Christmas. The only reason that we were in the game. But KD, you are seven feet tall, man. Like, we need something because he's he's not really bringing much uh, on a perimeter standpoint, one-on-one defending. So at least if you're going to let your guy, like, breeze past you, like, be there at the rim to challenge him with your ridiculous wingspan. So, I mean, like, I'm, I, he's here to score, and he's been scoring. But, I mean, the, it runs really deep, the, the problems uh, on the Suns right now. And I, I think I'm honestly to a point where I just don't I, – I, I'm kind of done with point book. <laughs> Uh, because yeah, I feel like they need a proper point guard and they need another center. Y- yeah, absolutely. I mean, another center is like, we absolutely need another center. Nurkic has been awesome, but like you cannot depend on him to play 48 minutes. And in on, in the minutes where he's not on the court, it's just like a disaster. And like book, I think he can be a point guard, but I can't. Somebody said this on a podcast last week. Should he be a point guard? I don't think he should be. And, and he shouldn't be. He's so good at, like, working off other people's gravity and, like, moving off ball. Those are, are what, like, make Devin Booker Devin Booker. And when he is playing this version of basketball where everything goes through him no matter what, he has the ball. You know what's going on. It's just – it makes it so that he can't be the best b- version of himself – and no, nobody can be. And does that change when you have another guy that can share like 50% of it in, in Beal? Maybe. I don't know. But like Beal's got to be there to make it happen. And you've got to come up with contingency plans. Like there's no world where the Suns should lose a game that Grayson Allen scores, hits nine threes or whatever he hit. And Shemezi Metu has his best game of his career. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, it's just tough if Durant and Booker aren't cooking. Like, it's tough. Exactly. But but like in those in those parameters where you have two of your role guys just like absolutely on fire, you should only need one of them to be good. That's and true. Really, neither one of them were. It well, was it was really disappointing. And the Suns should have won that game. But well, I do want to. Touch back on Luca though, because oh, I feel like we didn't actually do justice. Fifty points, fifteen assists, four steals, three blocks, six rebounds. I mean, that's the greatest Christmas performance of all time. Yeah, I, I mean, mean that's kind of the thing though, right? Like, it's hard to win when the other guy is doing that. And like, I feel like with Luca, the whole NBA world has kind of become so numb to him because he was so good right away. But like this year, like his three point percentage is up like almost five percent. He's averaging an entire more assist per the a whole. A career high in assists, like a career high in blocks. Like it's it's insane how good this guy is. And if it wasn't for like Jokic and Embiid, like we'd be talking about this being a historic MVP season. The things that Luca is doing with his pull-up three-point shooting is is just awesome. Like it really takes him from a guy that can win like a scoring title every year to a guy that is like can win an MVP every year. Yeah, I think like I think there's like always been this discussion. Obviously, like 
didn't want to do this with the Christmas game, but like how far can a heliocentric team go? Right. And I feel like what, like when I watch the Mavs, like to me, what makes Lucas so special compared to like Harden, even in his prime when Harden was averaging like 37, right. That's an amazing all time season player, but like, or like Trey young, it's like, Luca's diversity, his shot profile is so diverse and he can beat you in so many different ways. And I feel like, like maybe like just pure passing ability, he's like right there with Trey, but like, he's so much bigger, right? He's able to get these passes off that Trey just can't get off. These like wraparounds around the baseline are easier for him. Like when he gets doubled, he's actually able to find the guy all the way across the half court. Like he doesn't have to make the simple hockey assist type read. Like, He's such a generational passer, and I feel like no one, like people, aren't really talking about him that way. But like, fifty and fifteen is nuts. It, yeah, it's absolutely insane. Uh, I mean, you can't say enough about Luca. Like, yeah, he's really. And, but what you pointed out in like the heliocentricness of his play style, it's all different because of his size. Yeah, you know, like it takes so much out of a player to do that on offense. But in the past, you would have to hide Harden on like, you know, a, a Nick Batum type. Or, yeah. But at the end of the, the day, when one of those bigger wings that you're hiding your Trey Young, your James Harden on decides like, OK, I got to bring it to the basket. That's when you like really find the holes in the ship that is the heliocentric offense. But with Luka, like. You can do that a little bit, but you don't have the advantage. And you get to play with guys that are like the right size at every position all around. Yeah. And another thing I really like about Luca is like he has the same problem that a lot of these heliocentric guys have, where it's like when he doesn't have the ball, he's kind of standing behind the wing a lot of the time. But one thing I really like about Luca is like when he is creating for others, a lot of the time he's not necessarily moving, but he is like, all right, I'm going to go for the rebound. And it's like his offensive rebounding, like, is huge for the Mavs. Like they get really good offense out of like him creating a three pointer for somebody else and him just being like, Hey man, I'm like the third tallest dude on the court. I might snag this. Yeah. In a way that like you just never saw with Harden. No, absolutely. I mean, Harden was always like an okay offensive rebounder just because yeah. he's so strong. But I mean, you're right. And, and like positionally, it didn't make sense for him to be down. Yeah. There. You know, like I think, Harden has always was always a little bit more of like a extra long three spacing threat than Luca has been thus far in his career. So they would have him more out there. But like Luca, you get to keep him in the in the mix. Yeah. And like when you get an offensive rebound to Luca, it's like everyone's scrambling. That's when you can just find the find the holes. Yeah. All right. Enough on Christmas. Patrick, you did lose. We did bet a week of a Twitter avatar. I sent you an image of Luka Doncic carrying a baby Devin Booker. I will be updating <laughs> my Twitter avatar immediately after this uh, this episode. It, we're done recording. Uh, Patrick Sunsword on Twitter. Come see it. Come troll me. Um, I deserved it. Thank you, Luka, for that. All right. You want to talk Pistons? Yes, of course. I want to talk Pistons. Let's go. Okay, like, as we said at the top, the Pistons just lost their 27th game in a row. Uh, we, j we just watched um, the entirety of that game. Uh, a, kind of a Cade Cunningham uh, special. special. He yeah. was really, really great in that game. 
Uh, James, you want to start us off? What yeah, let's you? let's tee up the Pistons. So they are last in point differential, last in offensive rating. They're both they're bad in both half court and transition. They're twenty seventh in defensive rating, and that is actually trending downward. They allow a ton of three point shots. They allow a ton of shots at the rim, and you saw it in today's game against the Nets. They are getting to the rim really easily. The other teams. Um, so I mean, the game was really funny. I feel like like. I feel like Monty Williams is not a good coach, and I feel like it's one of those things, too, where you see this in sports where it's like, well, he doesn't have a great team. Patrick, let me epitomize why I think Monty Williams is a bad coach, and it's the very first possession of the game. Uh, the Pistons run a failed post-up to Bojan Bogdanovic, uh, kind of reminiscent of like when the Warriors used to post up Clay Thompson. Like, hey, man, I know he's you know like 6'8", 6'9", he's tall, he can shoot. Maybe have your best sh- shooter act as a spacer not a post-up player uh believe it or not that possession was a turnover yeah yeah i believe it because I, I i watched it um it really like pistons basketball just reminds me in so many ways of like 80s basketball especially like when the pistons are on offense the other teams are just dying for them to shoot threes because nobody can shoot threes at all and that's kind of like where i feel like their whole like system starts falling apart. They shoot the worst percentage from three in the league. They shoot the least amount of threes and they foul the most amount. It's like opposite Mori ball. They, they foul more than any team in the league and they can't share the ball at all. It felt like the Nets were at the free throw line a lot of this game. I I want to just get these out of the way because I know people are going to want to point it out. Yes. Duran has missed the last seven games. Bogdanovich missed the first 19. Injuries affect every team in the NBA. That's kind of how it is. And like Jalen Duran is probably the biggest piece of this. But again, he's missed the last seven. Patrick, they lost a lot of games with Jalen Duran playing during this 26 game, 27 game losing streak. Bogdanovich missed the first 19. So they've lost a lot of games with him playing too. So, but like, yeah, like what you were saying, like they can't shoot. Um, Like this was a rare game where Cage shot well. Like, that has not been Cade's thing. I guess, do you want to get into Cade or the whole team first? Let's get into Cade and then kind of go into the backcourt fit, like the backcourt of the future and the young core from there. So so start off with Cade. Okay, so Cade is shooting 39% on his wide open threes. That drops to 21% when he's only four to six feet open, so still very open. And he's just been a really bad three-point shooter this whole year. His form is a little... He's a very compact... Stiff jump shot. I know today he was three or four on threes, but like you can kind of see it in his form. Why? Like, I feel like he's not the best when these like shots are contested. Really weird thing. Statistical thing. Obviously, when you're scouting players coming out of college, a big indicator of how they'll develop as a shooter all around the court is their free throw percentage. So Kate is shooting 87% from the free throw line. So I decided to look up what is the three-point percentage of every player shooting between 86 and 86, 88% at the free throw line this season. There's 28 players who are you know shooting between 86 and 88% from the free throw line. Kate is 24 out of 28th in three-point percentage among those players. Those players are averaging 37.5% from the three-point line. Kate is like below 30. Yeah, which Kate was a really good three-point shooter in college. Like he had all that time off. I that is the one Kate is the one thing that I believe in, in on this team to be honest and I think he just has such like a difficult like role set at his feet like I don't think Cade 
ever will be one of those heliocentric guys that we were just talking about. I don't think he's built to be a Luca. I don't think he's built to be a Trey Young. I think really, ideally, he's the two guard on this team when he's got a 30% usage rate. Like he is solidly the number one option on, on this team. And there really is no like two or three. Yeah, I mean, I feel like my I kind of feel the same about him coming out of the draft. Like he's very crafty. He has a really good handle. He can get to where he wants in the court. He can get to the rim with his handle effectively. And he's big. So he can kind of use his size. But he's not the strongest, and he's not the most athletic. So I think over time, he's going to gain strength and become a much more effective inside scorer, especially against smaller guards. But like in a league where the guards are trending up in size, especially the main guard, I am a little worried about him as a number one type option just because like the athleticism is it's okay. Yeah, He's well, not explosive. Dude, I totally agree with you. I, I think, and we're kind of like going into Jaden Ivey territory. Like I can't really imagine a, a worse fit next to Cade than a Jaden Ivy kind of player. Like I would really, if I, if I'm making any player to be next to Cade, it's a guy that can really stretch the floor and help get him into like post up scenarios, uh, stretching the floor so he can use his handle a little bit more. Cause he really like you to your credit, like he does have a tight handle. And I mean, we saw it a lot tonight. Like, he seemed really, really intent on breaking this losing streak <laughs> tonight. And unfortunately, it didn't happen. But the drawback to Cade, and we have to bring this up now, is there is no player in the NBA that has turned the ball over more than Cade Cunningham. And I don't really know how that like gets corrected with this roster. Yeah, I mean, it's like I feel like high usage guys on teams with bad spacing are just going to tend to have high turnovers i I've, i don't know if patrick maybe this is controversial but i've never been super high on being too worried about turnovers with a lot of these like high usage guys because i haven't done it with the pistons but it's one of those things where it's like if Cade like three years from now is on a more normal team and he's averaging like four and a half turnovers a game and we're like he's leading the league in turnovers but it's like oh but the pistons are only 12th in turnovers overall then i'm kind of like it's kind of more of a product of usage than anything else we saw this a lot with harden where it's like he had really high turnovers. He'd lead the NBA in turnovers. And people would be like, he can't be an MVP. He's leading the league in turnovers. And it's like the Rockets are like fourth in turnovers overall. And it's like, okay. Yeah. The team is functioning well. But to your point, like, he's not a perfect player. Like, clearly, if he was a perfect player, they would not have lost 27 straight games. <laughs> like, defensively, he's like, again, not because he's not the most explosive, shifty athlete. Like, he's getting blown by a lot by these players that I feel like he shouldn't. Like, Dinwiddie type players. Like, yeah, no, totally. And but like I guess what I'm getting at with the turnovers is just another way to say like he doesn't belong in this role and like it's really puzzling why they decided to build the way that they did around him. Yeah, so this is the one thing. Like this team, we've always we've been touched on it like even like throughout the season is like why did they have like James Wiseman, Bagley, Duran and Stewart. Like obviously we're seeing this year Stewart is shooting like three threes a game. He's in a 39%. Yeah. He's pretty much only shooting it if he's wide open. And it's like it's a decent part of their offense. But like Bagley's an at-the-rim player. Duran's an at-the-rim player. Um Thompson's an Yeah, Tom Osar Thompson's an at-the-rim player. Like Stewart wants to be 16% from three. Yeah. This guy doesn't even profile as a guy that can like get up to 30% from three. I mean, Jaden Ivey is shooting 30% from three. Like, 
there's just no none of these guys you have to defend at all past the three point line. Yeah, and I think like this is the weird one. This is like I think like you know there's like calls for the owner. Obviously, I think Monty is not the guy for this team as a coach. Like GM wise, they don't have a lot of moves that are like complete head scratchers except for one. Trading Sadiq Bay for James Wiseman and it, I'm like I'm not here to tell you Sadiq Bay is like a world beater like coincidentally Sadiq Bay is 100th in points per game in the across the league. He's 101st in field goal percentage. Look. Sadiq Bay is like the epitome of like an average NBA player, right? But James Wiseman is awful. Yeah, he can't and get minutes. It's one of those things where it's like if you're a bad team, like having an average NBA player helps you a lot. <laughs> like, like I again, it's one of those things where it's like I don't think Sadiq Bay is gonna go out there and win games by himself, but it's just like one of those small things where it's like, oh, we have another guy who could actually play 24 minutes a game, and we don't have to play James Wiseman. Like James Wiseman played very few minutes tonight, and he was terrible. Yeah, I mean, the one guy that in all of their like five man lineups, four man lineups, two man lineups that is consistently in like their few positive net ratings, especially on offense. Are, is Isaiah Stewart. Why is he in those lineups? Because he can kind of shoot, and he's really been making it this season. Sadiq Bey is a well-sized guy that is perfectly sized to play for in the modern NBA, and they just said, I'll pass. Yeah, well, what, what was that trade? Because it's not like, it's like Duran was on the roster last year. Like what I, you got to think it's like a personality thing or they thought he might take the, I don't know, the, the qualifying offer once his rookie deal was up. But like, cause I think like the weird discourse around Wiseman last year was like, wow, the Warriors actually weren't a good fit for him. Like it's too complicated. It's like, here's my thing. If I'm a GM, do I want to trade for a guy who's struggling in a system that's too complicated like what does that say about your ability to process basketball at a high level when it comes to the playoffs like if you can't play on the warriors as a center yeah like i don't know man that just seems like a red flag i i I feel like they haven't had these crazy missteps but i think of all of them like that's a misstep when you're just straight up downgrading players yeah and and it'll be interesting to see like i don't know i kind of wanted to do a game with you where we just kind of went through the roster and said like is this guy going to be on the next good Pistons team? Uh, should we do that right now? Yeah, I guess one more player we talk. Well, we'll talk about him through the game. Yeah, yeah, okay. So we'll go We'll go down from experience. So just off the off rip, Alec Burks is a no. No. Joe Harris is a no. Yeah, no. Bogdanovich is a no. Monty Morris is a no. Marvin Bagley. No. No. Uh, Kevin Knox. No. Isaiah Stewart. No, I think Stewart's going to get traded. What? You think Stewart's going to get traded? Only because I've heard there's a lot of teams that are really interested. Like, I've heard the Celtics are really high on Stewart. And I feel like it's one of those years where if you're the Celtics, like, maybe overpay a little bit for Stewart. And if you're the Pistons, like, you know he's one of your actually performing young guys. But, like, this team needs some. You need to overload the assets. Because yeah. right now, like, you're 2-27 and 27, or whatever they are. Two I guess I get I, I get that like thought process. One, it'd be really hard to trade him because his contract is poison pilled. But if I'm the Pistons at this point, I, I'm like, like you're not. It doesn't matter if you get worse. A- and then like maybe like if you just roll it over next year, 
maybe it starts working. I don't know. Um, I, I just think it would be a, a, a huge mistake to give up one of the only guys that we have any evidence it working next to Cade. Maybe this is a hot take, Patrick. If you, if the anyone who's a part of a two and twenty eight team, I don't think is necessarily safe. Yeah, no, I, I, I get what you're saying. Okay, let's keep going down the line. Killian Hayes. No. Um, Cade. Cade is a yes. Uh, Wiseman. No. Livers. No. Jaden Ivy. I'm gonna go no on Ivy. I'm actually not that impressed by Ivy. Neither am I. I, I think like he's... Pistons fans are clamoring for him to play a lot. And he's young. Like I'm sure Jaden Ivey five years from now is going to be a more normal NBA player. Right now, I just I don't really see it with him. I do think like he's a good player, but with how Cade has shot this year, I wouldn't if he was coming up on his contract this year, I would not want to resign him. I'd want to trade him. But um it's just really the fit of what we've seen is really bad with you, with your main player. Um, Duran? Yeah, Duran's a keeper. Um, Asur Thompson? See, that's where it's tough because Asur has so much potential. But like you said, like there's a world where Asur Thompson never reaches 32% from three, like, yeah. right? And it's like, okay, so if K just so for whatever reason. So the four reason, guys we said yes and maybe two are Cade, um, Duran, Thompson and Ivy. The Thompson and Ivy were maybes. We only really said yeah, yes. Yeah, I'm going to say two. no on Ivy. I am going to say I'm honestly going to say no on a sword too, honestly. And then Sasser is the last one, which I feel like oddly I feel like I don't know if he'll ever be a core piece, but like best case shoot. scenario. He's a rookie, he's, a six, he's already shown he can shoot man, a bit right? like maybe when he develops. It's so tough right with these 19-year-olds because that's how the NBA is nowadays like these guys join the league. We judge him as a rookie, as a second-year player. You kind of forget about him. Then all of a sudden, five years later, it's like, oh, that guy's a productive role player now. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's pretty bleak, man. It's pretty, pretty freaking bleak. But so- I think I think it's a tough exercise, though, because I think there's a lot of NBA teams you could do this this with. Yeah. But I do think with like the Pistons, the real issue is just like, there hasn't been enough promise from the Cade Durin combo, even though you like them both individually. For me, like especially Durin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's. I've seen. I feel like for a twenty-year-old center, I've seen enough to be like, "You're our center of the future." But to your point, I don't know if the the Pistons feel that way because they keep acquiring more centers. So, yeah, I mean. I don't know. I I think I might be a little bit too down. Like watching them today, obviously we saw a much better version of Cade today than we've seen all season. And like I think like I'm I'm curious like how much you think it is a Monty thing because we talked about this before the pod. But there was a stretch where the like with like five minutes left, four minutes left in the game, they're down by like four or five points, and it's like Bogdanovich crossover into a contested mid range. Next possession, it's like Jade Ivey contested mid range. Next possession, it's like Cade. Cunningham, like, one dribble pull-up, contested mid-range. And it's like, I saw three different players take the same shot at the elbow, like, three possessions in a row. It's like, that's not a good shot. Like, you guys are not Kobe Bryant. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if... I, I'm split between whether it's a true Monty problem or it's just the result of having no one-plus passer on your entire roster. Like, 
you really can't say any of these guys other than Cade is a guy that can create with their passing. Even the point guards on this roster, uh, we've obviously not seen Monty Morris play at all, but I, I think that really would change, make a world of difference for them because Bogdanovich, you don't love him like throwing around the ball. Jay Nivey seems to always be looking for his own shot. I think Asur can I, he, maybe down the road he could be a plus passer. It's the thing with the NBA. It's so tough to be an elite scorer if you're a bad passer, and it's so tough to be an elite passer if you're a non-scorer mm-hmm. because you can really just if they can't score, you don't have to respect the shot. You can play the passing lanes. If they can't pass, you can double team. It's right. It's like early career Embiid why he struggled in the clutch so much. He just sucked at passing. It's like. Passing and scoring are really so tied together in today's NBA as skill sets that complement each other and your ability to succeed at each of them. And and right now they're playing like they're playing like two centers <laughs> next to a power forward and a six eight point guard. It's just like it's it's it reminds me of the Suns almost. Of yeah. just like there's nobody that can get anybody else going, which is why it's like such a slog to get Cade going ever. Yeah, I mean, the Pistons are bad. We've crossed them off. I do want to uh, usher an apology to the Wizards. Um, yeah, sorry for crossing you. Not only before. are you better than the Pistons, Wizards, you're better than the Spurs. Yes, yes, you are. Yes, you are. I don't know if that will be true after the trade deadline, but as it stands now, and honestly, we would have crossed you off by now either way. Yeah, but I feel like we owe them an apology. All right, we already kind of touched on the Suns, but Patrick, I just want to do this really quick, obviously with the Durant news, just again, he's reportedly frustrated with the Suns' underwhelming supporting cast and Bradley Beal's health. Kevin Durant was traded for the 2023, 2025, 2027, 2029 first-round pick and a 2028 swap, as well as Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson. What team team is Kevin Durant playing for at the start of next season? Phoenix Suns. Like... Of course he's frustrated. And I think that was like a super clickbait like type thing. Type thing. I, I've watched a lot of like like Devin Booker's frustrated. Kevin Durant's frustrated. But you also hear Kevin Durant in like his longer interviews talk about how happy he is to be in Phoenix. And like no one's gonna like lead that with your story. Am I saying that the Suns are like on their way to their first championship? Absolutely not. I've talked earlier in the podcast about how like they should be super frustrated, but I'm I'm not worried at all about Kevin Durant like demanding a trade or anything. I just I I don't see like he demanded a trade to the Suns. He Carmeloed himself to the Suns. Like let's be honest with how this went down. Adrian Wojnarowski is a super amazing basketball insider that knows little to nothing about the inner workings of the Suns. He is never one of the first people. And when he initially leaked Kevin Durant wanting a trade, like way back in, in the, in the offseason, um, two offseasons ago when he did that, he didn't say in any of his articles or anything what teams he wanted to go to. Later on, Chris Haynes made it clear that the Phoenix Suns were the only team that Kevin Durant was really interested in. 
And then going down the line, when he was actually traded, Kevin Durant said to Joe Sy and Matt Ishbia that he wanted to keep it hush-hush. He didn't want other teams to get in on the bidding. So that was a product of the Suns trading a lot, which, you know what? Kevin Durant is still an amazing player for KD. If KD is shocked by what has happened, like, you got to take a reality check, dude. Like, which I don't think I, he is, but... I just think you need to be ready for the, the Brooklyn Netsing of the team. I, hey, I would just I would just put it on your radar. We'll we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. Um but I I don't think that happens before not this trade deadline but next trade deadline at the very soonest. I I just think the Suns organization has shown time in and time out since the KD acquisition that they're pretty much ready to do anything to surround them with superstar talent and from everything that I've seen from Kevin Durant, that's all he wants. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Are you ready for best take, worst take? I'm ready for best take, worst take. Um, I, I, I'm i kind of going to talk about the same thing later on, but let's <laughs> let's start with uh, best take. Who's your best take? Uh, my best take is the amazing website. So I had a really hard time finding a best take this week, Patrick. It was a rough, it was a rough week for good takes. It was a great week for bad takes. Um. It, it hurt choosing one, and it sounds like we have the same worst take, so I'm kind of laughing. Is, is yours Brandon Jennings? Uh, mine is a, a bit of a twist on Brandon, Brandon Jennings. All right. Well, my best take is the fabulous website, Basketball Reference, because I don't know where they get their player nicknames from, but uh, they have a new one for Jaime Hawkes Jr. It's Juan Wick. Juan Wick. <laughs> Which I, I don't even know if that's a take, but I don't know where that came from, but I love it's it. It's like John Wick. Yeah. But Juan, Juan Wick. Wick. That is an amazing take. I love that nickname. <laughs> yeah, I just I love basketball reference. The nicknames are great. I don't know whoever called Jaime Hawkins Juan Wick, but I'm rolling with it. Whoever it was was an absolute genius. My best take, I, I was really kind of reaching for this one, but the, my my best take goes to Allen Iverson. Just he had an interview with Rachel Nichols where he was just talking about his role as like a Philadelphia legend. And he said publicly that he wants to give the Sixers more of his time. He wants to be more of a mentor to the players that go through the Philadelphia 76ers organization. And I just think that that's awesome. Like good, good on you, Allen Iverson. I, yeah. Um, give us your worst take first and then, and then I'll go. It's Brandon go. Jennings. Yep. Now, there was a lot of good ones. Westbrook saying he was very deserving of defensive awards. God, Westbrook, you are a horrible off-the-ball defender, and you have been your whole career. I, dude, I, this is why I don't like Westbrook. This is why, like, legitimately, I don't like the person, bro. The lack of self-awareness has always bothered me with Westbrook. And, like, dude, you're not a good defender. You're not a good on-ball defender. You're not a good off-the-ball. You're really bad off-the-ball. I don't know. But I didn't make Westbrook my worst take. Brandon Jennings said Kevin Durant should leave Phoenix. He doesn't deserve this. I feel like if anyone deserves basketball hell, it's Kevin Durant. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to leave it at that. Because he, he ruined our league for yes, a couple of years? Yes, because he left for the Warriors. So That's like an unforgivable thing. That's so funny. Also, I don't know. Signing with Brooklyn like, and then just demanding the trade and then rescinding it and then putting it back out there was really weird. Come on, this—that's why we have a we have a twice a week podcast. We need people like Kevin <laughs> we need Durant Kevin out Durant, there. Yeah. So I was considering this Brandon Jennings 
tweet for honestly both my best take of the week and worst take of the week. Worst take of the week because of pretty much what you said, but best take of the week because Brandon Jennings shone a little light on the part of the quote that you skipped was they cursed man, which yes, the Phoenix Suns are the the biggest sports curse that nobody wants to talk about. Um, but I digress. My worst take of the week goes to Terrence Ross, who commented on this post on Instagram and said, dog, they was doing fine before they traded for him. What's the problem? And although you may think that they were doing fine, I just want to like, let's just go back to last season and just talk about like the reality of what the Suns were last year. So December 25th, right? That was Two days ago? Yesterday? Yeah, two days, um, ago. two days ago when people hear this. Two days ago when people hear this. The Suns lost to the Nuggets to make them 19 and 15. That's pretty close to a 500 team. But let's keep going. On January 8th, a little bit further down the road, closer to when Kevin Durant was traded, the Suns dropped to one game under 500. That is exactly where the Suns are right now. So, okay, yeah, well, there was a little bit more time. Let's let's keep pushing it down the road. Well, the game before the Suns traded for Kevin Durant, they had a little bit of a, a burst. They raised up to 30 and 26, four games above 500. But what I'm saying here is the Suns are the exact same team that they were last year. Super streaky, super dependent on their star's health, which really wasn't there last year and wasn't there and has not been there this year. Terrence Ross, I know you were on the Suns team last year and you're trying to like, I don't know, get back at them for not signing you to another contract. You were absolutely terrible. You could not earn any minutes. The only reason you could earn minutes last year on the Suns in the playoff rotation was because the the team was just completely gutted after that trade. You should be thanking that trade for extending your career a little bit longer than it should have been. But no, Terrence Ross, the Suns were not doing fine before the Kevin Durant trade. They're not doing fine after, but they weren't doing fine before either. Yeah, it's a it's a mess in Phoenix. That's all I have to <laughs> I say. I feel like the the sneaky undercurrent of today's episode was as much of a mess it is in Detroit. Oh yeah. <laughs> Phoenix is just Well yeah. Hey, you know Detroit, they just got the Lions just clinched their first division championship. There uh they're go. going to be hosting a playoff game which hasn't happened in our lifetime. That is crazy. Well, yeah, enjoy that Detroit fans because we over in uh in the Valley of the Sun are enjoying the Arizona Cardinals and our what we expected to be championship roster Phoenix Suns just completely floundering. So yeah, honestly, I feel right at home here. This is Arizona sports. So so Patrick, if you were to, I mean, it's 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 another rough a rough day for you. Your your satellite team, your Timberwolves. Yes. They lost to my yes. Thunder. My, quote my Thunder. <laughs> yeah. We didn't even talk about this, but Patrick and I, we've mentioned it on a previous episodes. We've kind of had a season long who's going to be better, Thunder or Timberwolves, and like. Thunder take game one. Obviously, they're going to play multiple times. Thunder are two, three games back in the st- – two and a half games back in the standings or now. We're, we're one and one now. Oh, the Timberwolves did beat them the first game. One You're right. And one. one and one. Um, dude, I mean, the Timberwolves, like, 
That's you know that's I think that's just a fun reminder about last year. Like you saying the Suns were nineteen and fourteen on Christmas. Like the standings are still going to change so much between now and the end of the season. I know. I saw a post from a really awesome Suns account. I think it was Sam Cooper, but he reminded us what the um, Boston Celtics record two years ago. They were one game under 500 the day after Christmas. And went to the finals. And then they went to the finals. So yeah. it's a long season. A lot can happen. Boy, am I hoping the Suns are able to turn it around. But either way, we're going to have awesome basketball, and we're going to talk about every team all the way through. Yes, we are. Any uh, Anything else from Christmas? Anything else? A little Christmas, you know? You know, not just I, – I mean, I kind of touched on it earlier. I, I really think that um, – Like, what, what was your best gift? Ooh, my best gift. I will show my best gift um, on the next uh, the next podcast episode. But I'm super excited. I got my girlfriend tickets. Oh no! Fudge. It's okay. It's okay. Um, are we? Are, uh, yeah, you're still good on that one. Um, I'm super excited. I got my girlfriend tickets for us to go to Universal studios tomorrow and i've never been before so i'm super excited nice yeah i got a uh replica ring of the 2016 cavaliers championship and this thing is super awesome and i've just been spending all my time trying to find the details i really like the 3-1 comeback on the bottom oh that's awesome that's really cool but um yeah shout out to friends and family of everybody hope you all had a great christmas i know I feel like me and you were a little gr- grinchy this episode, Patrick. We were kind of going at some players. We were a little You grinchy. went right at T. Ross. I, I yeah. just took a random stray at Westbrook. You know what, Westbrook? I'm sorry. You you weren't even my worst take. I, I apologize yeah. for coming hey, at you. That's t- not very jolly. Terrence Ross, I'm also sorry. You were such an incredible dunker throughout your career. I, I used to play with you all the time in your Toronto years on NBA Live 2008. He was so good at NBA 2K. He was so good. He was one of those like all-time video game players where they're just like they're way better they have no business being so good that well did you ever play with gerald green oh (laughs) gerald green was the legend absolutely he was so good at tk all right we're getting off topic thank you guys for watching the foul trouble podcast we will be back at on friday and uh get ready for the new year we might be switching up the foul trouble schedule if we do we were going to let you guys know on the next episode we'll blast it on socials but we're still going to be around so don't worry about that and we'll see you guys Uh, Is next episode next year? No, it's this year. No. Oh, yes. It's this year. All right. Last episode of the year. Last episode of the year. Peace.